and welcome to our podcast Public Health Uncoded with Dr. Saroj Pachauri brought to you by Center for Human Progress in partnership with the POP movement where POP stands for Protect Our Planet. Dr. Saroj Pachauri, a public health expert, provide commentary on some of the major public health issues of the current times and the various determinants of public health at play with high-risk and vulnerable groups. Every month, Dr. Saroj Pachauri a doctor of medicine and a distinguished public health scholar with over 60 years of experience will unpack key public health concerns and opportunities in the current global arena with evidence and insights. Hello, Idrisha Patha welcomes you to another episode of our podcast. I'm thrilled to announce that starting this month, we will bring you not one, but two insightful podcasts every month. Today, our discussion centers around the crucial field of health communications. It serves as the lifeblood of public health. Without effective communication, addressing public health concerns become an uphill battle. It necessitates the use of diverse communication tools and strategies formally grounded in research and evidence. It is vital to ensure that this communication is devoid of any misinformation. But even the history of communication tools is an intriguing journey that has evolved to meet the ever-changing needs of the public and various programs. Joining us today is Ms. Anjali Nair, who brings over two decades of expertise in global health. She specializes in developing comprehensive strategies for health policy and practice, managing programs across Asia and Africa, and has held key roles in organizations like Program for Appropriate Technology on Health, very well known as PATH, and International AIDS Vaccine Initiative. Ms. Anjali is also actively involved in various health-related committees and advisory groups. So let's welcome Dr. Saroj Pachauri and Ms. Anjali Nair to take over the discussion. Hello, Anjali. Welcome to this podcast. I am so delighted that you agreed to lead this discussion. I'm honored that you have agreed to lead this discussion on health communication. Uh, health communications has been an area that you worked with for decades and an area that you have ex extensive expertise uh, and experience. And I'm sure that your inputs and your perspectives would enrich the discussion undoubtedly. Now, it's interesting as we look on the area of health communication that there are two broad areas within it the medical and the public health. And the experience in the two cases has been quite different. In the medical area where clinicians and medical doctors are involved, communication has always received a short shift. You know, doctors are known for their inability to communicate, their lack of ability to communicate. And that has always been an issue. And yet, when you look back some decades back, we find that there used to be the family physician. And the family physician was one who provided all the communications on health matters to the entire family, in fact, was a counselor for the family. So those were the days of holistic medicine. And those days seem to have gone away. We are now in this present era, we are in the era of, era of specialization, where we have a nose doctor, an eye doctor, an ear doctor, and, and medicine and medical care is quite fragmented. So the story is quite different in the medical arena. On the other hand, in the field of public health, there has always been a great consciousness to have strong communication programs. Health communications has always been seen as a very important area in the area of public health. The most recent example is that of COVID. COVID starkly showed us how important health communications are 
And it also underscored the problem of miscommunication, which can be a major problem. Now, I've written two books on COVID, and you have been so generous in contributing cutting-edge work on, in, in your chapters in both the books. Thank you so much, Anjali. So we have this problem, health communications and miscommunications, and the, prop, the health communication arena has changed over time significantly. Also, the methods and modes of communication have altered and changed. So in the good old days, we had television, we had radio jingles for mass media. Today, there is the, the entire change in the you know, uh, area of mobile phones, the internet, the web, and so on. And so there is a significant shift in the way communications are carried out, especially by the younger generations. It would be very helpful for our viewers and our readers if you would, Anjali, paint a picture of how you see this whole scene of communication over time and what are the means and methods of communication that you think are most useful and how they can be employed and say a few words about the area of miscommunication, which is becoming increasingly problematic in today's age. First of all, thank you so much for thinking about me. I think it's an, it's an honor for me, quite frankly, given that whatever I've learned in the area of public health, reproductive health, uh, or broadly uh, development issues is literally at your feet. So I, um, you know, so I, couldn't be happier to be here talking to you about it. I think you're right. Communications has changed so much. It's dramatically different from the time when I was working with you. And you were one of those pioneers who felt that communications had to be an integral part of uh, research. Otherwise, there was no point. It's completely different today. I mean, and it's really mostly about the explosion, the internet explosion so to speak. It's just made it um, so much more interesting, so much more diverse, and yet at the same time so much more challenging to really make sure that the right information, the right data, right evidence, and right messaging gets uh, to the people. You started by talking about uh, medical communications and, and doctors and how they communicate. I think you're you're right in the sense that everyone is a specialist. At least most of them are specialists today. Uh, there are few internal medicine family physicians, as you call them, but the specialization has made them a little narrower in in their understanding and what they communicate. But what they communicate is very good. It's very important. It's very knowledgeable. And they literally have that information on their fingertips. So, so it's good. But it can leave the recipient of the communications, a patient or even uh, any other person, very confused. So if you're talking about, let's say you're going to an endocrinologist and at the same time you have a kidney problem, you are confused how are you going to marry the two diseases, so to speak, and, and do the best for yourself. Public health is a different thing altogether. And I have to say that folks working in public health, and like I said, you've been one of the pioneers, have now recognized the increasingly important need for communication. And I and I saw that incredible change during HIV AIDS. 
where it was so important to get the message, particularly about behavior change, to how to protect yourself, how to make sure that you can well protect yourself from getting HIV infected. And information was the only thing that you could provide. And communications tools had to be used in a different way. There have been, uh, you know, one of my favorite example about uh, HIV AIDS communications was when Rock Hudson went and Magic Johnson went on television and said they were HIV positive. And that changed the entire outlook towards HIV. So communications is absolutely, absolutely integral. It's an important part of public health. Without communications, I mean, I... I can say that without communications, we are not going to achieve the public health outcomes that we are really looking for. In terms of the platforms and mediums, uh, you know, it, there's an explosion. We have the traditional media and we have the new media. And, you know, the newspaper articles, blogs, uh, your uh, music, your jingles, your um, infographics are all available digitally. But that doesn't take away from uh, the traditional media. Television is still important. Radio is still used as a major means of communications in countries that are not uh, economically advanced and have a large number of uh, poor people. Also, radio, strangely enough, is also something that women still reach out to even though there is an internet explosion because there is a limited access for women to uh, telephones, uh, to phones, so that they can uh, uh, use the internet. So I think, to me, communications is a blend of traditional and new media. If you're, I've seen a lot of people who would still like to have an opinion article in the print media. But that same opinion article we can use new media or social media to disseminate it widely and in real time. This is so interesting, Anjali. Yes, the blend. What you're saying is that we need a blend of the traditional and the modern and get the best of both the worlds. Yes. Because there are different audiences, women, for example, or poor, poor women, for example, who, who have access to only some forms of media and not others, and who prefer some forms of media and not others, and, and they would be left out if we didn't use the, the traditional media. Very, very interesting, I must say. Uh, tell me, Anjali, what do you see at present as the major challenges in communication in the field of public health? What are the major challenges and what are the areas or the public health issues that we really need to address currently? So, yeah, so I think there... I mean, there are two challenges that, two main challenges that I see. One mm -hmm. is uh, too much information and the other is really too little and misinformation. You know, so it's a little information that can be interpreted any which way. So for too much information, it's much more easier. You can coach people to put out the right kind of evidence in a way that can be consumed by everyone easily. You know, most of the research papers, and again, something I've learned from you, most of the research has to be written in easily consumable messages that people can learn, imbibe, and change their behavior. Too little information is 
really uh, dangerous. And sometimes it can be misinterpreted. And a lot of times it's just um, evidence that um, has been twisted in a particular way. So to me, that's a bigger challenge. And here is where I think experts have to play a much bigger role. A lot of times I have seen um, researchers and other public health experts who say, you know, I don't want to get into a fight over social media. But I think they are moving away from their principal duty of getting the information out. If you've done the research, it doesn't mean anything unless it's out there and used by people. So I see a bigger role for researchers and I see a bigger role for public health experts. A lot of people are recognizing, I think they need to play a bigger role on social media because it's um, it's um, out there immediately. It can be updated. You know, if you've put in and you've got additional information, it can be updated. Um, you can also use it to have a conversation, Twitter chats, Facebook Live. All this can be used. And also you can showcase infographics, quotes. Mm -hmm. And there are just so many ways that you can make it interesting, easily consumable. And I honestly feel it's time for just about Every researcher, they're doing it. It's definitely better, but we need to have more of it out there. Yeah, I think you're right. We need more of it. We always need more of it. There's more research, but research doesn't end at research. Research has to be shared, disseminated, used for advocacy, and you know, used for programs and so on, which which you know I feel strongly about. Yes. But can you say a few words more about the misinformation problem? Because this mm -hmm. is also a very difficult problem. So what can be done? What are the strategies to counter misinformation? And why does it happen? Why does it happen is, I think, probably needs an entire research on its own. Um, I think uh, Dr. Tedros was right when during the time of COVID, he said we're fighting an infodemic. There was so much information out there or misinformation out there. Some of it was understandable in the sense that it was, it was a virus we knew nothing about. Everything was changing so rapidly. Every day there was new research coming out, new evidence coming out, and people wanted it to get out there as quickly as possible. So even in terms of uh, the preventive medicines, it went from everything, you know, there, were, uh, there was this entire information on how you need to take anti-malaria drugs, and that will prevent you, till it showed that it had no effect. And all you needed to do was, in most cases, take a paracetamol and plenty of fluids and rest down. So I think one of was where it was not held. The other places, it's actually deliberate or it's your own, uh, it's your own viewpoint. So the one point here is looking at uh, some of the Ayurveda medicines or uh, homeopathy. And when you have people who haven't done enough research or haven't uh, don't have the full information, put out remedies that others can use and uh, maybe fall even more sick, that is a big challenge. And quite honestly, it's really something that um, everyone is struggling with. I just see it's more people have to put out the evidence. Again, 
people who know better need to counter it or need to at least put out the right messages. They don't want to get into a fight over social media, at least put out the right research. But most importantly, I think most agencies, again, a lot of them are doing, most agencies need to invest in countering misinformation. They need to fund projects that specifically counter misinformation and put out the right evidence. So for all of us to be responsible, a lot of us are. I think 95% of the people are responsible, but the 5% can cause a lot of damage. Well, you've given several examples. The one that I would like you to comment more on, which, which you didn't mention, is the vaccine. You know, yeah. the vaccine is a pillar for, for COVID prevention. And mm -hmm. vaccines were, uh, there was a tremendous amount of misinformation on vaccines and continues to be, actually. What do mm -hmm. you say about that? Well, unfortunately, vaccines have suffered the most. You know, even before we saw um, the advent of social media, I mean, the whole thing about vaccines and autism, mm. you know, it caused so much damage and continues to do that even today. There are a lot of people we know who will not take vaccines or not allow their children to take vaccines. And this is even in developed countries. So vaccines, unfortunately, have uh, suffered a lot. I also think that this is a time to change the nomenclature. You know, it's vaccination that saves lives, not vaccines per se. Of course, you can't do vaccination without vaccines. But with COVID, some were genuine concerns. You know, that there's not enough research, there's not enough evidence, I'm putting something in my body. Some of that was genuine concerns and and a lot was done to put the right evidence uh, there. And I think in a lot of countries, you had the leaders and the influencers taking vaccines so that it would build confidence. In COVID also, those who were the skeptics, those who were the who were against vaccines, I think that came to the forefront even more. And they found here an opportunity, literally, to say that, you know, see, it doesn't have enough evidence. Most vaccines are out there. There's not enough research. I think some of the vaccines are the most cost-effective public health measure. And till date, of course, India's done a great job with vaccinating uh, people against COVID. And I think a lot of people came out voluntarily and got the vaccination. But we still have to do a lot better on others. We still haven't done anything about HPV vaccine, which is one of the safest vaccines, uh, and it prevents so much suffering. So unfortunately, vaccines have really been the target of a lot of misinformation. So again, I think more evidence out there, more people speaking for vaccines, and literally flooding the media with the positive stories about vaccination. Thank you, Anjali. This is excellent. And finally, a few words, if you would, about information dissemination and health communications. What is the difference here? Can you give some examples to illustrate the differences? What does it mean? So uh, dissemination is really one-way communication, and it's the targeted distribution of messaging or research or data. So if I have a paper and I want it to get to a few people, I will create that list and I will disseminate it to them. 
because I want the information to get to them. Communications is a two-way street, and I am communicating about promoting the action itself. I'm communicating about the project. I'm communicating about the behavior that I want to change. It's much more broader. But dissemination is, a, to me, a very important tool of communications. You know, if I want to communicate, I first have to disseminate the information, and then I can have a dialogue. Thank you very much, Anjali. Your discussion has been outstanding, as always. Thank you so well, much. Well, I've had a good teacher. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. That was an interesting and important conversation. Dr. Pachori initiated the conversation by emphasizing health communications, categorizing it into two broad areas, medical and public health. In response, Ms. Anjali Nair shed light on the challenges faced in effective health communication within these domains. She discussed how the era of specialization has resulted in fragmented medical care, making it difficult for patients to relate to multiple health conditions simultaneously. In the context of public health, she underscored the significance of robust communications program, noting the profound impact on the internet explosion on communications dynamics. Nevertheless, she also emphasized the importance of striking a balance between traditional and new media in the realm of public health communication. Ms. Nair candidly discussed the challenges within the health communication, highlighting that while the majority of individuals are responsible, a small percentage can have a significant impact by spreading misinformation. This can occur due to insufficient evidence on a topic or during a new health emergency such as the COVID-19 pandemic. To address these challenges, she advocated for organizations allocating resources to combat misinformation. Additionally, she stressed the vital role of researchers in effectively communicating their findings and engaging in conversations and dialogues to disseminate accurate information. Well. Public Health Uncoded itself is one such effort of information dissemination by experts. So if you have not listened to the previous episodes and are looking for the correct information on some of the major public health concerns, then subscribe to us. And if you wish us to cover any specific subject, then please drop a comment. Also, if you would like to show your support to all the research work that we do, then please visit us at www thepopmovement.org and make a contribution. Thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned for this month's next episode on the issue of climate and health.